Welcome back to Pop Girls, episode two, baby. Episode the podcast two. voice came on so fast. Welcome back to Pop Girls. It took uh, us two years to make episode one and two weeks to make episode two. So at this rate, we'll have episode three to you in two days. I love that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So this week we're getting into Doja Cat, her most recent album, Planet Her, arrived this past week, right? It was this past week. Time is an illusion, especially on Planet Her. We don't know how time works on Planet Her. No, so Doja Cat has welcomed us to Planet Her, and we are going to be getting into the inclusion of some questionable characters on the production writing side of the album, as well as the role that it kind of plays for her artistically in the long term. And then on the second half of the episode, we're going to have a longer conversation about Ed Sheeran following the release of his new single, Bad Habits. <laughs> we're going to look at where he started as an artist and how we got to the point we're at now and question whether or not it was actually such a big leap. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just over a week ago, Doja Cat shared her latest album, Planet Her. It's her third studio album, technically, but it is her first album as a main pop girl, as someone who we've seen take the stage at however many award shows, remixing Say So 50,000 times. She's had a number one single since Hot Pink came out. And obviously Hot Pink did have a number of hits, Say So on there, Streets on there, a lot of TikTok songs on there. Doja basically led us into the world of Planet Her with Kiss Me More featuring SZA, the lead single. And then the only promotional single that was shared was Need to Know. And that came out, I believe, like a week or two before the album itself. And so that was pretty much what we heard. Other than that, not really knowing what to expect from the project, whether it was going to be more pop, whether, whether it was going to be more rap. She teeters that line very well. Planet Her is very pop, but also very hip-hop, obviously. She has an Ariana Grande collab, a collaboration with The Weeknd. Young Thug is also on here. She plays around with a lot of sounds, but she really did want to make a project that made sense and reflected where she was right now. It's been two years since she put out Hot Pink. The introduction that most people had to her, this is the first time that they're getting a project that makes sense for who she is now and who she presents as and whatever growth she's had artistically over the last two years. And it does see her back with some of the same collaborators that we saw on Hot Pink, most notably Dr. Luke, who is in an ongoing legal situation with Kesha, who alleges that he assaulted her. I don't know how to approach that. Um, I guess we have to say alleges. Yeah, we can't legally. Like on Wendy Williams, where he's like, alleges, allegedly every time she says something. Yes, exactly. So Dr. Luke is a credited producer on Need to Know, as well as You Write, which is the collaboration with The Weeknd. And he also co-wrote Kiss Me More, which is obviously the biggest single from this album so far. So Doja Cat is signed to Dr. Luke's Kamasabi Records, which is a subset of Sony Music Entertainment. And she also has, she's been working with him since she was about 17, I think is when she first signed to him, which was before all of the allegations from Kesha came out. 
So there's no way she could have known that it was going to blow up in her face in this way. Although it's, you know, unfortunate for her to have the most successful years of her career so far tied to this man. It's the same label that she released Hot Pink under, which featured Say So, which this year was nominated for record and pop solo performance of the year at the Grammys, did not win, likely because of Dr. Luke's involvement. I think it would have said a lot about the Recording Academy for them to have awarded Dr. Luke for his work on this song when just a few years prior in 2018, they had Kesha take the stage to perform Praying, which was her comeback single essentially after Dr. Luke allegedly barred her from being able to release music because of these allegations. And the interesting thing about Say So is that Dr. Luke is not credited under his own name. He's credited as Tyson Tracks because he knew that the music industry was not gonna be on his side in this or shouldn't be anyway. At least publicly. So he was Right, at least publicly. So he wasn't releasing under his own name. He was using pseudonyms. Tyson Tracks is one of a few pseudonyms that he has been using. And that Say So nomination was his first Grammy nomination in seven years. I think the last time he was nominated was for his work with Katy Perry on Roar. And so we almost got rid of him. Fiona Apple boycotted the Grammys this year because of his nomination specifically, even though she swept with Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because of the fact that he has a production credit on the weekend collaboration on Planet Her, you write, because the weekend has very much steered clear of working with him. The weekend obviously came up in a very RB space before making this big pop crossover. The weekend is very much a pop star in the sense that he has 50,000 collaborators on all of his songs. On Starboy, I think there was a minimum of like 10 co-writers and producers on every track and not one of them was this man. And so it really does go to show that it's very easy for you to make great music and pop without working with this dude. It's not, you know, the early 2000s or the early 2010s anymore where it was still harder to collaborate across long distances or with wider pools of people. You don't really need to do that anymore. There's so, so many Swedish dudes that are totally accessible now. <laughs> There's so many. And so it's interesting because it kind of does bring up the question of how do we as pop fans engage with this music of Doja Cat of somebody who's obviously becoming such a key figure in pop music very quickly while also acknowledging the involvement of somebody who has previously been a key figure in pop music, but because of his actions, allegedly really doesn't hold that role anymore. And seeing him trying to weasel his way back in kind of puts us in an awkward situation where you want to be able to enjoy the music, but it also does bring on like almost like a wave of guilt because you know that you're indirectly supporting him just by trying to support a Black woman in pop music. And that just makes it really convoluted and really complicated in a way that is really annoying to me personally. By the way, we say allegedly because we don't want to get sued. This is episode two. We don't have sponsor money yet. We um, don't. And we're pop girls. But, we're too cute to yeah. go to jail. We can't we're too cute it. to go to jail. But yeah, both of us believe Kesha. Um, 
and we're happy to see her win in court recently. According to Vulture, a New York judge has ruled that in order to win the appeal on his defamation lawsuit against Kesha, Dr. Luke must provide clear and convincing evidence that Kesha acted with malice. So we don't know what's going to happen there. And that's a reversal almost of the last time that there was news from their court proceedings, which basically said Dr. Luke is not considered a public figure because he didn't ask to be involved or brought to light in the way that Kesha has put him in conversation with people, which anyway. You guys can't see my aggressive eye roll. He pisses me off so bad. Um, (laughs) And I think the whole thing of, is he a public figure? Is he not when he's had a hand um, in some of the biggest pop songs in history? I think it plays on the fact that most people are not going to sit here and look up who produced a song they're hearing on the radio but that doesn't mean that these people are not still incredibly influential incredibly well known even if the people who are listening to these songs can't name him you know off the bat just because you put doctor in front of your name and you're not a real doctor (laughs) doesn't hide you from public accountability exactly have to agree The other thing that I was like confused about, not confused, but the Dr. Luke produced songs on Planet Her are not even the best songs on the album, apart from Need to Know. Need to Know is excellent. It's so good. But because- I hate it. It's so good. (laughs) It cannot be my favorite. And so that automatically puts I Don't Do Drugs featuring Miss Ariana Grande at number one as the best song on that album. Get Into It is excellent. Payday, excellent. Lots of great things on here that Dr. Luke had nothing to do with. And so I don't know if there's a contractual agreement that says that just because her music is coming out through his label, that his songs have to be included on it. And that's the other thing. These are such massive songs, right? Need to know, Kiss Me More with SZA. These are the the biggest songs on you must write one disco track for doja cat (laughs) per album (laughs) these are the biggest songs on the album and i guess it's like it's not like she could have just left them off this album wouldn't be what it is without these songs and so that just puts us back in that position where it's just like i would like to enjoy these so much but it does leave a bad taste in your mouth where you're just like i don't want to give this man any money i don't want him to have a career anymore because it's not necessary and we don't need it and doja cat recently sat down with ebro from apple music to talk about planet her it was a great interview i enjoyed it i think there were a few moments that really stuck out to me and kind of stuck with me after the fact there was one part of the interview where she said i want to really develop myself and not regret anything i think i really have to think more about what i'm doing now to be more purposeful i didn't really notice at first how true that is and how important it is for artists to come to that point where they really want to be intentional about the work that they're doing. Music is already moving at such a high speed that artists are having to develop themselves faster and faster. And I think that if you don't find a moment to make very intentional decisions about your work within that, it's very easy to miss the opportunity to do so. And I think especially with Doja Cat, a lot of people were first introduced to her as a meme, right? It was that 2018 moo video bitch i'm a cow exactly i'm a cow and i think it made it very easy for people to like write her off obviously but that isn't 
necessarily how you expect to encounter a musician with longevity and staying power. That's very much like, okay, this is going to be funny for about three hours on Twitter before everyone runs it into the ground and then we're going to be over it. It's also what we've been seeing with Lil Nas X. It's really interesting to watch how he's trying to distance himself from Old Town Road while maintaining the internet attention, how he's trying to come into his own as an artist away from that one sort of meme hit. And him and Doja are very similar in the fact that they're very well aware of how to navigate internet culture and kind of just troll their own fans, troll their haters, whatever the case may be, in a way that's kind of inseparable from their brand as artists. It becomes a very key part of it. I think there are certain musicians who obviously get very famous very fast and become reclusive. We don't hear from them unless they're putting music out. And there are other ones who are very online, not in a, I'm going to sit here and follow all my fans and tweet how thankful I am, but I'm going to engage in every mean format if it helps me promote my music, which is a smart way to be able to navigate the current music industry because a lot of artists kind of don't know how to do that without it being corny and forced, but because they've been able to make it a part of their brand, a part of what we see or think of when we hear their music, works really well for them. Doja Cat's career has really been helped and pushed forward by TikTok. A lot of her songs go viral on there. That's how Say So became Say So. That's how Streets became something so massive so long after its release, which is great. But I also think that the nature of TikTok as a platform allows for fans to take a lot of creative liberties with the work of artists. They'll also dig up verses from unreleased songs and then they'll remix them until those go viral. And then they'll be like, well, when is the song coming out? When the whole time no one ever told them the song was going to be coming out, they just figured, oh, we got it so popular. Now you owe us the official version. But just because you like a song that leaks does not mean that an artist is obligated to put that song out for you. And Joja is kind of dealing with that right now too, because there was a song that was originally supposed to be on Planet Her called Boom. It was supposed to feature J.I.D. And then in April, the song leaked. TikTok took over and started spreading the song everywhere, came up with a dance for it. And to them, it was like, oh, well, this is an easy hit. She has to put it on the album. And Doja actually decided to put a J.I.D. verse on a different song. He's on Options on Planet Her and not include this song, Boom, at all. And now everyone's looking at her like, well, where's the song? And she tweeted earlier, she was just like, I don't care about that song. Like, I'm not putting it out. And despite there being a whole new album of material for people to be listening to, they're still begging her to put out this one song that she herself does not think is going to be essential to her discography, to her creative vision. And I think that's exactly what she means when she says she wants to be able to develop herself as an artist in a really intentional way. And part of that includes not letting her fans bully her into making the music that they want, because at that point, She's making the music for them and not for her. And she's never going to be able to find a middle ground within that that makes everybody happy. And so it is best for her to just do what she wants to do with her own music and have that be fine. We can just hope that the future releases just have nothing to do with a one Dr. Luke. I don't even have a joke. (laughs) Just fuck that guy. Oh, that's a transition point right there. Because <laughs> what is that line on, what song is it on? Get into it. Miss Doja says, call up Ed Sheeran. He in love with my body. And 
unexpected cameo <laughs> topically on a Doja Cat album, but that that does perfectly lead us into our next topic of, of conversation. I didn't know we would tie it together so nicely. So the same day that Doja Cat released Planet Her, Ed Sheeran subjected us to <laughs> his new single, Bad Habits. Uh, we can't start out being too mean to Ed. We need to ease into it. No, I know. Because I do feel bad. I want to still like him. I really yeah. do. He just makes it so hard. <laughs> bad Habits is his first official release in two years following his collaborations project in 2019. Uh-huh. It was teased like Solar Power with just the single art and a billboard and features Ed in his best weekend cosplay. Yes, very much giving... <laughs> Not after hours, but before minutes. I tweeted that a few weeks ago. I think it's a gem. Yeah, the song itself is pretty innocuous. It's just, it's a pop song. It's kind of what we've come to expect from Ed Sheeran at this point. The music video is bizarre. He's clearly going for what Abel was going for with After Hours, but with no storyline and bad special effects. It's reminding me of, you know how... A few years back or like a while ago, I don't know if they still do this, but like a movie would come out and then it'd always be like a parody movie of it. And so there was Twilight and then there was Vampire Suck. Oh my God. Ed Sheeran yeah. is giving Vampires Suck. That's what I got from that. I didn't really understand what was going on. The glitter, it was tapping into euphoria and Ed Sheeran just got married and have a kid. You should not know anything about euphoria. Should you could be, be on, on Euphoria if you're married with a kid. <laughs> you could be playing the lead role on Euphoria if you're married with a kid. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care how old you are. No. I think it, it's, it's really odd to see the full-blown Ed Sheeran pivot to pop star yeah. or attempt. The popification of Ed Sheeran. Yes, because he's always been, obviously he like got into pop 2017 shape of you really catapulted him into that before he was just like the wedding ballad guy photograph was huge thinking out loud huge but then shape of you comes along we'll get into shape of you we'll get into it later in this different realm and now he's a he's a pop star he's trying to be a pop girl he want to be us so bad so ed sheeran makes his comeback after two years and those two years, in 2019, he was also very much foot on our neck, terrorizing us in a bad way. He had- We weren't going to be so mean. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take it back. It's <laughs> okay. It I'm going to keep it in. Uh, no. <laughs> in 2019, he had Beautiful People with Khalid, which was very massive. And then he also had I Don't Care, which was with Justin Bieber, which I don't have the time or energy to get into why we I don't, do. as a world, need a Justin Bieber-Ed Sheeran collab, why that did not need to exist, why we could have done without it, and yet it, it does. Why Scooter Braun took my hard work and used it as a promotional tactic for the get listeners at home. <laughs> In 2019, I watched BTS perform Boy With Love on SNL. I realized it had the same BPM as Lizzo's Juice. (laughs) I screen recorded the BTS performance and edited Juice over it. Little did I know, it would blow up. James Corden tweeted it. Why he was involved, I will never understand. But James Corden tweeting it led to Scooter Braun screen recording, or someone who worked for Scooter Braun, screen recording my (laughs) screen recording and editing I Don't Care by Ed Sheeran featuring Justin Bieber over it. And I know it was my screen recording because of the quality. It's been years and I haven't had a public platform to talk about that, but I do now. 
Scooter Braun, Hannah is seeking financial compensation yes. for the pain and trauma you have caused her. Our lawyers will be in touch. And that was foreshadowing of him now becoming BTS's CEO, yes. which we'll talk about in a future episode, I guess. But anyway, yes. back to Ed Sheeran. And so Ed Sheeran comes back. He sits down with expert interviewer Zane Lowe for a conversation. I went into this interview hoping that they would be able to make sense of this song and video for me, this direction, because I'm confused. I just want answers, you know? I'm not here to be the Ed Sheeran hate train conductor. Although if there's a job opening, I will be more than happy to put on my little conductor hat. You know, the girl that used to be on like Disney Junior or whatever, and she Mm -hmm. had her train. I could be her, except my train is just about hating Ed Sheeran. But no, I genuinely, I don't hate Ed Sheeran. I used to be a very big fan of Ed Sheeran until something went astray. And so I went into this interview really hoping that they'd be able to make sense of the song, the video, the direction that Ed Sheeran is taking now. And I got a few things from it, but definitely not what I went into it hoping for. Ed talked about wanting to put out something fun for the post-pandemic times, which is interesting because we're not out of the pandemic, so I don't know what a post-pandemic time is. But also he said that he wanted to put out a first single that makes people interested in hearing the rest of the album without assuming that they know what the rest of the album is going to sound like. At which point I'm thinking- Why would he set himself up like that? Are people genuinely listening to this song because they want to hear new music from him? Or is it like a train wreck that we genuinely cannot look away from? But that does lead me to the question, What happened? How did we get here? Well, I'm going to argue to you today that this was an inevitable trajectory. I would like to hear that because I think I disagree, but I I would like to get into it. I'd like to get into it. Now, Hannah, you have a theory that this was bound to happen. And I have a theory. Everyone, no one saw it coming but you. (laughs) So tell us how this happened. I'm not saying I saw it coming. I'm saying if I look at history, if I look at the cold... (laughs) hard facts of the 2010s to now I see a pattern so this isn't this is science this is history I have mapped out a timeline of Ed Sheeran's career shout out to Wikipedia (laughs) so last episode I put you in a time and place right I took you to Tumblr in 2014 correct this time I'm gonna take you somewhere else I would I love time travel Elon Musk could never not touch and pop girls Nope. The place is London. The time is the early aughts. Ed Sheeran is couch surfing while he plays gigs across London and tries to break into the music scene. He's not couch surfing because he doesn't have a home. He's couch surfing for the lifestyle. He's writing songs about being homeless, but he has a perfectly nice family home. So let's keep that in mind, okay? So he does that for a few years while he's couch surfing across London. He releases a couple EPs, including Loose Change and Songs I Wrote with Amy, both of which have his signature acoustic style and were praised for their lyricism. They also led to him sort of blowing up on YouTube. He's trying to break into the London music scene and he's getting some acclaim there, but it isn't until he decides to try out playing in LA that he catches his first big break, thanks to none other than Jamie Foxx. Did you know this? I did not. So... Playing in LA in 2010, he was scouted by a promoter for the Foxhole, a club owned 
by Jamie Foxx and ended with an invitation to stay at Jamie Foxx's house. So Jamie Foxx takes Ed Sheeran under his wing. He is eventually signed to Asylum Records and then later signs to Atlantic Records on top of that. In 2011, he releases Plus, his first studio album, and it's a pretty big success. The album was the highest debut for a British artist's first studio album in the U.S. since Susan Boyle's I Dreamed a Dream in 2009, and it's still the ninth best-selling album of the 2010s in the U.K. So at that point, he was already associated with One Direction because he was already writing for other artists like them. He was building a really large teen girl fan base in England especially, but worldwide as well because of the influence One Direction had, which I think is something that isn't talked about as much when we talk about or when the press at large talks about Ed Sheeran's rise to fame. But I was there. I saw it happen. So he already has um, this association with boy bands and pop music, even if the album is considered more folk pop or indie pop or acoustic pop and the thing that stood out about the album to a lot of people was the songwriting it's why he was so successful being able to write for other artists and have their music be successful as well he was a wordsmith of sorts he really knew his way around a really lovingly heartbreaking lyric his lyrics were also just really clever in a way that you could read now as cheesy clever but they're clever nonetheless correct so the reaction to the album and the press were mainly positive, leaning towards mixed. The Guardian wrote that apart from his teen appeal, Sheeran's strength is his melodic ability, away with a really strong radio-friendly tune as on The City or Grade 8. Grade 8 is such a good song. So we're already seeing this association with... My laptop's falling on me. It's Ed Sheeran. Um, <laughs> we're... <laughs> we're already seeing this association with other British pop stars, and right now we're mainly contained within Britain, and with pop sensibilities, with melody, with a radio approach. So while the album is still mainly acoustic guitar-based, it has a wide commercial appeal. And the one thing I think is interesting was, if I'm not mistaken, the lead single or the main single from Plus was The A-Team. Yes. And that was a song that everyone covered there are so many artists who have cover versions of that song. I think it was nominated for a Kids' Choice Award, which was a choice because the song is about a drug-addicted prostitute, which not necessarily kid-friendly. That not was Not necessarily largely... radio-friendly. No. And it was a radio was hit. Because of his writing. And I think that's a really good example of how great his pen was at the time. I also don't know if we can attribute it entirely to the lyrics because from personal experience, it took my mom quite a while after being obsessed with that song to actually pay attention to what the lyrics were talking about. And so I think if you're just hearing it on the radio, you're not necessarily going to go, oh, snowflakes, cocaine. Exactly. You might I just hear it back. as a little song, which also is a credit to his lyrics that he was able to tell a story without being so obvious but also goes back to the melodies and how he was really good with getting something stuck in your head and writing something catchy that was still interesting. And I think that also goes back to what you were saying about it just being a lot of clever writing most Mm -hmm. of the time. So what happens, what happens next? So we have Plus is huge, selling very well, Ed Sheeran is still bubbling over there. How does he land in dear old America? So in between Plus and Multiply, which would be his second album, it's 2012. I'm situating you somewhere else now. It's 2012. I love 2012. 
were in Australia. Oh. On a Taylor Swift tour. Ooh. She calls a bit Sheeran after hearing plus. So as you know, their duet, Everything Has Changed, would end up on her fourth studio album, Red, which was obviously a major hit in the U.S., So they write that together. And from March to September 2013, so the next year following, Sheeran opens for her on her Red Stadium tour. And according to him, that was the biggest tour he had ever played. And then in October of that same year, he headlines three sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden. I think what's important to mention about his live shows is the loop pedal thing. His whole thing was that he made Plus completely by himself. There are no band that plays on Plus. Everything that you hear on that album is being played by by him when he performs it live. Same thing. It's just him on the stage with his guitar, his loop pedal, doing his thing. And that is not something that switches up until... He he played with a band on Multiply. But he still had the... a good chunk of the songs, but he did still have the loop pedal. But he was not involved in many collaborative spaces that way until the subsequent albums and i also just going back for a second i think it's important to mention one of my first concerts like at a club was when i saw ed sheeran shortly after plus came out he did a u.s tour and he played at music hall of williamsburg in brooklyn if you're from new york you know that that's an incredibly small venue i loved the show i thought the loop pedal thing was so cool and i thought it was so unique but I remember seeing a picture that Taylor Swift posted of the two of them and thinking, I'm never seeing him at Music Hall of Williamsburg again. No. She was just so famous and so popular in the music industry that it was like, if he has her support, that's just like an automatic ticket to the top for him. And then also we got to compound it with One Direction and what journalists would dub the second British invasion which is Mm. when we saw One Direction come over and a lot of British artists like Ed Sheeran, like Little Mix, like- Ollie Murs. Ollie Murs, like Ollie Murs, who had careers in England adjacent to One Direction. not the Cher Lloyd erasure. I'm sorry, we can't not Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Cher Lloyd. I met Cher Lloyd at my local mall and she was not very nice, but I don't care because if I was at a Long Island mall, I would also not give a fuck about meeting some middle schoolers. So he also came over. It was a pretty opportune time for him to come over. And like I mentioned with the the Guardian article before, the reviews were already all citing his teeny bopperness. They were sort of saying his lyrics were even targeted at teens and teen girls specifically so there is the question of was he ever going to be taken seriously if that was his fan base which also plays into the inevitability of him becoming a full-blown pop star that he just sort of followed the the narrative that was being shaped by his fans and the press and his association with taylor swift at a time when taylor herself mm-hmm. was making her big country to pop transition Mm -hmm. and red was very much that middle album that last album that was still very country influence before we get to 1989 where she goes full-blown pop and that Mm kind of coincides with ed sheeran's own leap into that area as well it's a really interesting time that he got involved with taylor because you do start to see the seeds on that album with i knew you were trouble and just within songs themselves that might not be so obvious that she was gonna start transitioning to more of a pop sound that right. album sort of marked the turning point and so it, it's interesting to see how their careers sort of took that path together 
Okay, so how do we get to multiply and where does multiply take us? So in 2014, as you mentioned before, Sing Drops, which becomes the lead single for Multiply. It was released in April 2014 and produced by Pharrell. And like Bad Habits, similarly, he said it was intended to create hype for the upcoming album. It was unexpected. I think people yes. weren't, people were a little yes. off-put by it. He talked Sorry. about in the Zane Lowe interview that Sing didn't do well. It wasn't the most popular single from the album, no. but that it yeah. did make people curious about hearing the rest of it. Sing was the lead single, but there was concern that it might alienate the fan base that was used to the A-Team and Lego House. He also released one, which was an acoustic ballad, and he released that about a month later. There's a lot happening on Sing. I think if your introduction to Ed Sheeran was plus, Sing is very much different from what you would expect to hear him come out with a, a lead single with. But I also think that if we think about what pop music sounded like in 2014, we're already getting to a point where there's not as many acoustic guitars on the radio. We're not hearing that as much. So it would have been detrimental to him to not try something new. I think if he would have made his second album and that's the other thing, this whole sophomore slump thing, there's a lot riding on your second album when your first one does so well. So I think he was kind of in a corner where he had to do something different. Also, if we're thinking about him having just sold out Three Nights at Madison Square Garden, it's also a big arena stadium sound. And it's very much in the vein. I know you said that like acoustic guitar wasn't really getting radio play anymore, but it's very much in the vein of the white guy with a guitar arena sound versus the white guy with a guitar at Music Hall of Williamsburg sound. Yes, exactly. And so it was a, it was a, it was a sly kind of transition like you said he didn't want to alienate his fan base so it was kind of easing them into this new sound testing the waters and then plus he did follow up with one so that showed that he wasn't completely abandoning that sound that he was known for and then like throughout the rest of the album uh rick rubin is involved pharrell yeah. involved benny blanco, benny blanco. which is a big <laughs> yeah so out of multiply comes thinking out loud um, Thinking Out Loud becomes his mainstream U.S. breakout, I would argue. Would you argue? Yeah, definitely. That song was huge, not just at, not just for wedding DJs. It spent eight weeks at number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and it was only at number two because Uptown Funk was released at the exact same time. The Thinking Out Loud video was also really popular. He learned how to dance so he could do the first dance at a wedding <laughs> with a trained professional dancer. Yeah, not the type of dancing that he's doing in the Bad Habits music video. No, we're not there yet. We're not no. there yet on the Ed Sheeran evolution. Long ways to go. We're still at, we started at acoustic guitar Ed Sheeran. Now we're at wedding DJ Ed Sheeran. And we're going to keep going. Keeping it in 2014 for a second, Spotify named him the most streamed artist of the year. And Multiply was the most streamed album of the year. And do we just want to talk about sonically where the rest of Multiply was? Multiply had a little bit of everything for everyone. Multiply, personally for me, is one of my favorite albums. I adore that album. I think it's excellent. I think his writing is gorgeous. And obviously, Thinking Out Loud was the huge song. We also got Photograph out of that album, another huge song. And then there's also the ever understated A Fire Love, which he wrote about his grandparents which that's always, you can make any love song and say it's about your grandparents and it makes it 10,000 times better for some reason. But that just had really 
beautiful songwriting on it. A lot of the songs are very well written, both in the clever way that he's known to write, but also in a very detail specific way, in a really emotional way that the lead singles, other than Thinking Out Loud, obviously, really didn't show you as much. I think if you just heard sing and listen to the rest of the album or heard don't and listen to the rest of the album, you're not gonna get that same thing that you get from Bloodstream or even my dad does sometimes. It was a lot more personal also where he was now somebody that people cared more about as a public figure. Ed Sheeran was never like a huge tabloid type of celebrity. Nobody really cared what Ed Sheeran was doing. It was just about his relation to other celebrities. Yes, but people, more people didn't know who he was. And so they were approaching this album as if they were going to learn more about him as a person. And he did inject more of that into the songwriting. And it was, it was the first time he had a band play on his album. It wasn't just him and his acoustic guitar. So he wasn't kind of bound to that sound anymore. It was moving him forward. You could see the progress in his writing. And I think that's the most important thing to mention is that he was on an upward trend of becoming a better artist, songwriter, musician, singer than he already was. And then he goes away. When it comes to new music, 2015 and most of 2016 is quiet. It was peaceful but there was something under the surface. Lurking. In December 2016, he teases a comeback. In 2017, shortly after, Shape of You drops. And it never leaves us. This is one of the biggest turning points. It is the biggest turning point in Ed Sheeran's career and one of the biggest turning points in pop music, period. Yes. The grip that Shape of You had. The grip on- it had on the culture. It was diabolical. Yes. The obvious best-selling single of 2017. It was originally written for Rihanna. Ed was writing it for Rihanna in mind. Was Rihanna going to take it? Probably not. No. Did Rihanna want anything to do with Shape of You? We don't know. But Ed was writing it with Rihanna in mind. But then he says he started writing lyrics like, put Van the Man on the jukebox, referring to Van Morrison. And he said, I don't think Rihanna would sing this. And his team encouraged him to keep the song for himself because they heard the best-selling single of 2017. I mean, I think we should have a genre discussion about what pop music was sounding like in the 2010s. We're entering the late 2010s now, but there was this huge trend of the genre that is called tropical house, which is a combination of house music and reggae music, both obviously invented by Black people, but in this time associated with white Swedish producers. So much Swedish producers today. Or Norwegian producers, maybe. Sorry, Norwegian DJs like Kygo and Matoma, who had inescapable hits in the 2010s and started collabing with artists like Bieber and Little Mix that brought the sound really to a mainstream. But yeah, I think we should just talk about Shape of You. I think there's a lot to unpack there. Shape of You was released alongside Castle on the Hill. Castle on the Hill entered at number six, while Shape of You obviously entered at number one. Yeah, so Castle on the Hill, it's very storytelling. It's very simple, guitar-driven. Looking back on Ed Sheeran's upbringing, he says, when I was six years old, I broke my leg. I was running for my brother and his friends. Tasted the sweet perfume while the mountain grass I rolled down. I was younger then. Take me back to when I found my heart and broke it here. And he talks about making friends and growing up, wanting to go home, becoming an adult. Shape of You also tells a story 
but it's not a story I want to hear. No. Shape of You opens with a word of advice, right? The club yeah. is is not the best place to find a lover. That's what I always say. Instead, go to the bar. <laughs> He's so ridiculous for this. And at said bar, obviously Ed mm-hmm. is speaking from experience here, at said yeah. bar, he meets a young woman who takes his hand and they start to dance and they they exchange some words to each other she tells him grab on my waist and put that body on me come on now follow my lead come on now follow my lead so then ed sheeran catches us up to speed for right. a while later it's been a week since they met they go on their first date and they're thrifty they're a pair of mm-hmm. thrifty yeah. young kids yeah they met at the so bar were- not the club the club is for you know people who spend a lot of money the bar is for people who you know are happy with just a beer for sure folks place right the bar is for people who pretended to be homeless while they couch surfed Mm -hmm. instead of just going back to their parents house right and so since they're thrifty they go to an all-you-can-eat spot Mm -hmm. you know who doesn't love one of those a buffet a golden corral you know Mm -hmm. and what happens on this date hannah tell us tell us what goes down I have been, I don't even know if baffled is the right word to describe the state I've been in thinking about this lyric since 2017. But basically, he fills up his plate, as you would, at a buffet, (laughs) while he stuffs bread rolls into her purse. (laughs) We don't even know if it's bread rolls. It could be a full chicken because he says fill up your bag while I fill up my plate. And, you know, because Ed Sheeran's such a crafty songwriter, if we want to read further into those lyrics, we could read that as a metaphor for society, that men are allowed to have a plate at the table while women are forced to fill up their bag. That's what's happening. Yeah, it's really a larger commentary about men and women's roles in the workplace or at society at large, you know? Right. Or it's just a man (laughs) sticking chicken legs in his date's bag. I hate it. And then okay. her bed sheets smell, you know? And then my bed sheets smell like you, which I'm imagining is the scent of the chicken from her purse. Nonsensical. But anyway, so we get these we get these two songs mm-hmm. and again, the road taken on this fork in the road is the avenue of shape of you. It has the Ed Sheeran lyrical content, which is like a yes. storytelling lyrics, even if we take issue with the story he's telling and the way he's telling Correct. it, that's not up for us to decide. No. It has the perfect pot formula for that moment in time in the 2010s. It has all the right components. And it's, as Larisha mentioned, the most dream song of all time. Ever. A few months later, we get the album, Ed Sheeran's third studio album, Divide, continuing on this theme of math symbols plus multiply, divide. The next one is called Minus. It is? He has confirmed that in the in the Zane Lowe interview. He has a five album plan. So I'm thinking there's an equals on the way. I don't know why we have to be subjected to this any longer but anyway divide comes and it sells incredibly well obviously because there's a massive lead single it could not sell well but it's a 17 track album i think there are maybe four or five good songs on this album out of 17 wow and it's like 
you argued for multiply i would argue that it has a little bit of everything because we've got pop ed sheeran we've got wedding singer ed sheeran what else is he doing on there what's it's the same it's a lot and that's the thing there's really not much of anything that's new and i was mentioning before that with multiply it kind of set up this trajectory where we saw that he was getting better his skill was improving it that's why there was so much anticipation for divide because people liked what they got out of multiply Mm-hmm. But what happens on Divide is that Ed Sheeran kind of plateaus. We're not really moving upwards. We're doing a lot of the same things. There's a song on the album called New Man, which is like the knockoff version of Don't. It's not giving what Ed Sheeran thought it was giving. We have How Would You Feel, which is supposed to be this great love song, this grand love song. But we went from Ed Sheeran singing lines like, on Plus, we have Wake Me Up, where Ed Sheeran says the very iconic line, I could do without a tan on my left hand, where my fourth finger meets my knuckle. And then on Divide, we have How Do You Feel, where he says, how would you feel if I told you I loved you? Do we see the problem here? Do we see the issue? Hey, girl. How would you feel if I told you I loved you? <laughs> but it was very much disorienting, almost. Because this is this person who has built their whole career on being a great songwriter, on being able to have all of these pop hits that do really well and still, you know, are strong. And I don't want to say that because that makes it sound like pop songs aren't like well-written. That's not what I mean. But um, he has a niche. Yes. And then we get Galway Girl, Nancy Mulligan. It was cute. <laughs> Bibiabe, yay, yay. I just don't know what we're doing here. There's no vision. There is nothing really happening here in any meaningful way, but it it sells well. I'd argue we have three Ed Sheerans at this point. We've got Pop Ed Sheeran. We've got Wedding Ed Sheeran. Yes. And we've got Stadium Ed Sheeran. Castle on the Hill falls under Stadium Ed Sheeran. Yes. Supermarket Flowers, Wedding Ed Sheeran. Shape of You, Pop Ed Sheeran. Oh, perfect. Perfect is Wedding Ed Sheeran. He got a Beyonce feature. Yeah. from perfect i forgot that's about perfect that's a different realm of existing to have beyonce on one of your not even one of your singles i don't think i think he did release it as a single eventually but i think it was released when beyonce got on it as a single yes so he has a duet with beyonce and so by all like you know visually if you look at the album you look at the stats huge success but when you look at the first two albums and then you come to this one and it's so clear that he could do so much better. It starts to feel kind of lazy. He talked in the Zane Lowe interview about how he had to rediscover how to make music for himself and not for other people, which I felt was a direct insult to me telling me to shut up and stop asking for another multiply. And I'm never the type of person who's like, oh, I want this artist to keep making what, they're, what, they're, what they've done before because that's what I enjoyed. But I am somebody who will stick by an artist as long as their music is progressing in a good way. And I cannot say that from divide to bad habits, that that's what's happening here. It just seems like we were going up, we plateaued, and now it feels like a downward spiral. I don't really know how we get from divide to bad habits 
there was obviously that large chunk of time between the two. And now he has a follow-up album that has one of the biggest songs in the world on it. And does Bad Habits do that in any meaningful way? I'm going to take us back again first. Okay. So in between Divide and the hiatus, that would then produce Bad Habits, Reputation drops. Mm. And Taylor? Taylor isn't playing nice anymore. Mm-mm. Taylor has been feuding with Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, and she's ready to put her take on it as an artist. And that's her Reputation era. And Reputation also gives us Endgame, which introduces us to a new Ed Sheeran, bringing us to four total Ed Sheerans, Pop Ed Sheeran, Stadium Ed Sheeran, Wedding Singer Ed Sheeran, and now Rap Ed Sheeran, who we had met a little bit with songs like You Need Me, I Don't Need You. But he's on mainstream U.S. radio. Good song. He's on mainstream U.S. radio with Future going bar to bar. But is he? (laughs) But is he? In a a literal sense, yes. Yes. And the thing about that is that that leads us to number six collaboration project, which is a follow-up to 2011's number five collaborations project, where he also was collaborating with rappers, with people outside of the scope of what you would expect him to do. And he basically has mentioned that these collaborative albums are giving him a chance to experiment and try new things without it being tied to an official project, a mixtape of sorts, right? Rappers doesn't have a math name, it's not Then it's not an album, (laughs) it doesn't count. So what we got from this album was a lot of songs that sounded like Ed Sheeran, but that Ed Sheeran sounded out of place on. There's a collaboration that features both Eminem and 50 Cent on one song. There's Travis Scott on this album. Cardi B is on this album. I forgot about it. But it's that. all very forgettable. See, you forgot about it. It's all very forgettable. So we get to number six collaborations project. And then we're on hiatus again. Yes. Ed Sheeran goes off. He gets married. He has, has a, a baby. Good for him. Living out wherever, off the grid, not on any type of social media. Can you reach him? No, you can't. And maybe he should have stayed there. Maybe we don't need a post-pandemic dance music commentary from Ed Sheeran. But you see, you're saying that, and Ed is hearing, it's time for my reputation era. Because I think Ed Sheeran is in his reputation era. You mentioned before that he said in the Zayn When do we get to his, when do we get to his lover era then? Cause I'm over this already. When he do we said, get out of this? When is his folklore era? That's what I want. When do we well, get there? Inevitably we're gonna get there. If we're following his trajectory, right? He had his red moment. He was transitioning out of acoustic into pop. We're going into his reputation era now after his 1989, if you will call it that, his major pop hit yes we're eventually gonna get there we need to hit fast forward (laughs) i do not know if i will make it out of this but that said we don't know what the next singles are gonna sound like he is making music for himself now and if this is what he wants to make then i guess we can't stop him but i think what also stands out as being weird to me is the level of the theatrics that he's pulling out for this single the music video the promo the suit the glitter all of that when this is the same person who showed up to every award show. He won worst dress at everything, showed up in jeans and a hoodie and some rundown sneakers everywhere he went. His appearance had nothing to do with his music. That was never part of it. And so to see him kind of entering this phase where he suddenly 
so concerned about the visual aspect of his work. I don't know if that's needed. And I'm always very appreciative of any male artist that actually commits to a vision for a project because they tend to not want to do that. And I think that's very lazy because it's so highly expected of women to do that. But at the same time, I don't want this. I don't want Euphoria Vampire Ed Sheeran. It doesn't make any sense for him. But again, you know, you don't want to hinder an artist's creative growth. It could be something he's just trying, but I do feel threatened by any future releases to come. I live in fear of his next single. We're talking about theatrics. This is Look What You Made Me Do. He's saying, look what you made me do. And what you made him do is turn into a glitter euphoria vampire. What a mistake that we've made. If we all just issue handwritten apologies, will he undo it? We're too late now. You gotta wait till he meets up with Jack Antonoff. And see, I think that'd actually be really good. He can rediscover his acoustic guitar. I'd like to hear it. It's two men on a journey together to Um, rediscover the power of an acoustic guitar. Any um, concluding thoughts on our journey through Ed Sheeran? Yeah, do you you see my vision now? I do, and I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't, Hannah. I wish you would not have brought this to me. Yeah. I do also agree now, I think, that this was in some ways inevitable. I said this was inevitable. I don't think it was fate. I think this was a path that he followed that in hindsight we can see how we got from point A to point B. But what I do think is inevitable, knowing pop stars and knowing pop history, is that he's going to do a strip down back to his roots album because pop back stars to basics and the back to basic back album. to basics and sheeran oh i can't wait pop stars can't love wait. to give us their lady gaga joanne they love to give us their i can do this too era and i can't and wait. i think the farther we get away from that original ed sheeran the mm-hmm. closer we are to his return wonderful mm-hmm. thank you for taking us on this journey Thank you um, to all my history professors at Columbia University in the city of New York <laughs> for giving me the tools to create this Ed Sheeran retrospective. This is all for you. Thanks for making it through Pop Girls episode number two. We hope you're enjoying it so far. We're very um, thankful to everyone who's listened. It means a lot to hear nice comments. And we're, Absolutely. we're glad that anyone's paying attention. We're the opposite of the Zane album. No one's listening. People are actually listening. So, And we're so appreciative. Pop Girls is now available on all meaningful podcast streaming platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music. We're on Google Podcasts. You have so Anchor, many choices. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're there waiting to talk all things pop with you. Well, not with you, to you. Um, we're talking at you. This is yes, not a three-way conversation. So. No. <laughs> but if you do want to get involved in the conversation, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and that would help us out a lot to reach more people who might want to hear what we have to say. Also, follow us on Twitter at Pod. Tweet us any and everything, any thoughts, any disagreements, agreements, any things you want us to talk about, something you feel like we missed, overlooked. Don't try to tell us that we're wrong. Don't approach it in that way your tweet will be deleted immediately, reported, blocked. (laughs) We will erase it off the internet. We can't let people know. (laughs) No. And yeah, we'll be back 
next week hopefully we'll be back soon (laughs) yeah our second episode was delayed because i have a foster puppy and yes and that obviously takes priority to you guys we care more about the puppies here at pop girls puppies over podcasts that's what we always say (laughs) exactly yeah hopefully we'll be on a weekly schedule after this but very appreciative anyway everyone who's been listening and sharing and commenting very thankful and still very excited for what's to come